With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and it is always a pleasure to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we cover topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and need. Technology. It is always changing, it is always evolving, and it is almost always improving. Today we are talking about the next generation of mobile wireless technologies. We'll discuss things like the current state of 5G, Wi-Fi 6, and what's coming up on the horizon. To help us guide the conversation, we have Cisco champions, Shai and Sebrin, and our Cisco expert, Bob Everson. So get comfortable, folks, and join us on our 5G and Wi-Fi six journey. All right. First on the to-do list is introductions. Bob, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us more about yourself and what you do at Cisco? Sure. And uh, and thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is my first time, so go easy on me. Uh, my name is Bob Everson. I'm Senior Director for 5G Architecture at Cisco. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, our team is working on helping to develop our 5G solutions as well as kind of across the entire wireless spectrum, uh, everything from, uh, let's say, network architecture to the use cases and how it's going to be employed in our customer networks. Very nice. Seabren, glad to have you with us today. Who are you and what do you do? Well, happy to, hear, happy to be here, Emily. Um, my name is Seabren Bergerkamp. I'm located in the Netherlands and I'm owner of Three Corners. And we primarily focus on Cisco collaboration and uh, WebEx and also in mobile integration. My Twitter handle is at B. Great, Shai, it is always a pleasure to have you. Tell us about yourself. Thank you, Amy Lee. I'm mm -hmm. Shai Silman. I'm the Director of Network Services at San Jose State University. Uh, the name I give it away that I'm located in uh, San Jose, pretty close to the uh, Cisco campus, and excited to be here on this exciting topic. It is an exciting topic. And on that note, Bob, before we get into it, any background or context you'd like to provide on what exactly we're talking about today? Uh, yeah, thanks. And and by the way, uh, my Twitter handle is Everbo, Everbo. So if anybody wants to uh, engage there, that's great. So as a little bit of background, you know, we're in this, um, I would call it a really exciting era of, uh, of mobility technology. Uh, you know, mobile usage is ex is exploding, really. And when I say mobile usage, uh, it's really wireless usage, both on the public wireless networks as well as on Wi-Fi. Um, you know, the estimate is that by 2022, 71% of all the traffic on the Internet will actually be mobile. So and it just keeps growing. And we've seen over the last year with the pandemic and people working from a variety of different locations, wireless has actually been utilized even more and it's growing even further. Um, you know, every year we have four billion new Wi-Fi devices. 
Uh, and, uh, and now we have the fifth generation of mobile technology that's coming out that's providing even more capabilities out into the what we call the macro network or the outdoor network largely. So a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to the discussion as we drill into the technologies, the use cases, kind of, uh, you know, what, what's good and what, uh, what we can look forward to. Sounds, uh, sounds good, uh, Bob. <clears throat> you, we were talking about Wi-Fi and um, my personal experience with Wi-Fi is the 802.11 standard. But we are to also talking about the 4 and the 5G. Can you help us a bit by explaining the difference and maybe even more interesting the similarities between the two? Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll start with a funny story. So uh, about a year ago, my wife came home from the local electronics store. We'll leave the names out to protect the innocent. And uh, and she, um, you know, since my title is 5G, we, we talk about it a little bit around here. So she got in, in somewhat of an argument with the tech there when uh, somehow 5G came up and she said, oh, yeah, my husband's working on that and it's going to be coming out over the next year. And the tech said, no, we, we've had it for years and we've been selling it here. I can sell it to you today. And so she come home, she came home and she looked at me and I think partially wondering if I have a clue what I'm talking about. And, <laughs> and asked me to explain. And I quickly figured out that the tech was talking about five gigahertz spectrum, which is utilized in Wi-Fi and has been for several years. And she was talking about 5G, which is the fifth generation of wireless technology. <laughs> so, you know, if we, if we look at, um, you know, where we are and, and maybe, maybe starting with 5G, um, 5G is a, is, um, is a naming convention that was, that was set up basically talking about the generations of wireless. And so essentially we're in the fifth generation and they're about a decade long, roughly. So, they, and they sort of coincide with the decades where the twenties are kind of the 5G era. Um, and, uh, and so we, we can dig in deeper, but I'll, maybe I'll stop there. I, I think it's, one, I mean, I know certain top people think Wi-Fi is just like no wires, right? But there, there's just a lot to this. Uh, from the enterprise aspect, uh, I, I think today when we talk about the wireless fabric, I mean, we have a lot of these protocols and 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 it, it, that form the fabric of what we have. Uh, we have the 5G that's done by the carriers. Uh, we talk in here about doing the enterprise 5G. Uh, we have the enterprise uh, wireless, and then we also have the IoT. And they do have a certain amount of overlap, but how how do all these pieces fit together uh, into the the enterprise portfolio of uh, unwired services? I will call it. Yeah. So so where I would start, I think, on that is there's a debate in the industry right now, um, kind of a hot topic that pops up here and there, which says, okay, five G is going to replace Wi-Fi, or Wi-Fi is going to make uh, you know five G irrelevant. And, and it's a little bit of a ridiculous notion. They're actually really complementary technologies. And I think you hit it from a, from a good angle. There are multiple different directions. Uh, when we look at 5G, there is the public 5G network. This is what the, the carriers, the operators are launching around the world. And we're in the very early days of that. Um, that's what, uh, that's what you access when you walk outside with your handset and, and, uh, you know, some indoors as well. Uh, there is also this notion now with 5G where private 5G networks are going to become much bigger over the next few years. Enterprises are testing out the capability and trying to determine where it makes sense for them to build their own 5G network using licensed radio technology in their enterprise to complement Wi-Fi 
which of course runs on unlicensed spectrum in the enterprise. Is that is that the, the main big difference between public 5G and private 5G, the terms of licensing? Yeah, uh, the thing that you get um, with the private 5G <clears throat> is the enterprise then has dedicated spectrum that basically they control the access to. So what you see is, is enterprises are saying, okay, I can use this to carve out space for a particular use case in, in my enterprise, something that I want to be more secure, something where I want to protect maybe the quality of service. I want to, if I want to control a machine in a manufacturing environment, to use an extreme example, I probably don't want that on the same wireless network that generic users are able to, you know, stream their Netflix and YouTube over and, and whatever else they're doing. I want to make sure that's a protected path. And so they're allocating this private spectrum which is allocated in different ways around the world. We can, we can go into that if you guys want to. Uh, and carving out space. The, the, there's a difference between that and the public network spectrum, which you may want to extend indoors, but that's really to make sure you have good coverage on your, on your existing handset when you walk inside. So um, I, I think one of the questions people kind of wonder, especially from the enterprise, is... Uh, what business outcomes uh, do I get out of the enterprise 5G today? Because, I mean, we, have, we, we, we talk and the carriers are talking, we're going to provide 5G. Uh, we have Wi-Fi 6, it's going into Wi-Fi 6E and Wi-Fi 7. We see the continuous progressions. Uh, but what are the business values and outcomes for me owning my own enterprise 5G? Yeah, so, so you said the word today. Um, let's talk. Uh, let's talk today and in the future. We're in the very, very early days of, of 5G deployments worldwide. Um, there are, um, uh, you know, somewhere uh, I think north, south of 100 million total subscribers globally on 5G, or somewhere in that ballpark, right? And we have billions of, of people in the world. So today, the experience um, with 5G in in places where you have 5G, you may see faster speeds. Um, maybe not fully realizing the full, the full speed capabilities of 5G, but you're starting to see faster speeds. But as we move forward, that's where more of the benefits come in. There's, there's really um, three different service types that have been defined in 5G. There's what's called enhanced mobile broadband, which is basically faster, you know, much faster service, but generally looks like what we have with LTE. It's just going to be faster and, uh, and potentially more pervasive with more spectrum. Uh, then there's two new service categories that are coming out, one of which is ultra-reliable low-latency communications, which you may have heard about. This is for specialized devices and specialized communications that allows for us to get latencies down theoretically as low as one millisecond and very, very high reliable connections. More expensive to obviously provide that connection, so you're not going to give that to everybody, but where you need that specialized connectivity. And then there's another type that's uh, massive machine communications, which allows for a really, really high density of IoT devices, even higher than what we have with LoRa and, and, and existing uh, technologies now. And so at a high level, those are the, uh, the different categories. And we see users looking at these across a variety of different industries. Uh, you know, I mentioned manufacturing earlier. Uh, warehousing and distribution is a huge area where you see some of the 5G technology complementing Wi-Fi for different use cases. Uh, we see it out in public venues as well as we move more into, into actually gathering together for sporting events and, and other events outdoors. You start to see the complement there. I'm kind of 
looking at, I mean, part of the success of all of these technologies uh, has to do with the endpoints. And one of the areas I see is on the mobile devices, on the cell phones, we see a lot of progressions. I tend to pretty quickly keep up with all of our uh, new Wi-Fi 6, uh, Wi-Fi 6E, CBRS support. Uh, where do you see uh, 5G penetrating devices outside of our mobile uh, handhelds? Because I think that's going to be critical for uh, a lot of the business outcomes. Yeah, exactly right. And this is where um, where Wi-Fi and 5G uh, differ quite a bit as well, because one of the things that you get with Wi-Fi, you know, almost but really by default, is you get that ubiquitous, um, you know, availability in all the different devices. So, you know, whether it's a laptop or some other device, you know, all sorts of things, you know, Wi-Fi is pretty ubiquitous. We're seeing 5G penetration increase quite a bit in devices now. Um, and there are a lot more that are coming out over the next year. You know, it's funny. I, I heard a stat that um, before the iPhone actually supported 5G, there was a survey and half of the users in the U.S. thought that they already had 5G connectivity, but they actually didn't have the radio in there to support 5G. So there's a, there's a lot of confusion around this. Now the major handsets actually support 5G in most markets where, where it applies. Um, we're seeing... It move across different parts of the device ecosystem. So the industrial control side, you're seeing, you know, handhelds, a bunch of different sort of user equipment, um, everything from uh, fixed wireless modems as well. You know, you see fixed wireless access devices coming out. Um, but the ecosystem really and the availability of the devices scales up quite a bit next year. And that's where we see more ubiquitous uh, device availability. There's another... Um, there's another detail around 5G availability, and this is how it's built in the network. The way that 5G has been rolled out in carrier networks right now is largely non-standalone mode. T-Mobile USA is actually the exception to this, where they're actually doing standalone. Most of the other networks are doing non-standalone, which basically means they've added 5G radios to their existing 4G network. That allows them to give a 5G radio connection, but it doesn't give them all the service capabilities that are behind that. When they move to 5G standalone, that's when they'll be able to enable these services. And of course, the devices uh, need to come along for that as well. That's sort of, uh, let's call that over the next, you know, really 12 to 18 months probably is where we see that come in in mass. Bob, you, <clears throat> you mentioned... Uh, and use devices like smartphones and iPhones. Um, I'm coming, I have kind of a collaboration uh, background. Um, we have quite a lot of uh, use cases in terms of Wi-Fi or handhelds being deployed in only enterprise Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi 6, Wi-Fi 5, Wi-Fi 5, and looking into a handover to the 5G or 4G uh, public infrastructure. Um, how does Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 5 help us with that? Is there any things which can have that as a, a more smooth experience for the end user? Yeah, they both, uh, so they both provide more granular quality of service, more capacity, more speed, all of those things which are, which are really inherently better. Um, they actually share a lot of the same technical underpinnings with OFDMA, you know, 1024 QAM, a lot of the really details around modulation. Um, when you talk about switching from network to network, 
it really comes down to the UE making the decision, the UE being the user equipment, whatever device that is that you're using. It actually has to make the decision on when to switch over. And there's a variety of, you know, kind of different ways that they do that in implementation. Um, but that's that's up to their implementation. There's nothing, um, you know, inherent in the particular technology that's designed to make that handover smoother. But it does give them better um, uh, knobs to, I guess, look at inside of the phone to say, okay, the signal's degrading here to a certain level, and I'm going to switch over, and I'm going to switch over very quickly to this other technology. Okay, so we still need to fix that on the, on the application layer, more or less. But, I mean, we're talking about enterprise uh, 5G, and we're also talking about the fact that now the users are still just using different technology on my network. Uh, so... Uh, but to some to some extent, I mean, are there uh, developments of of protocols and um, and standards on how to do multipathing, right? So essentially, uh, the end device could just do a path selection between a best path as they're moving about. Sometimes it may be five G, sometimes it may be uh, Wi Fi six. Yeah, there are, and and uh, and there's work going on right now to actually be able to combine those paths as well. If you want to, you want to use both of them. Again, that's very user equipment dependent because it has to be able to manage the connectivity across those those multiple access domains. Um, but but where it where it makes sense, you could actually uh, feasibly have a more seamless handover between the two if you have them both live at one time. Generally, it's uh, it's one path at a time right now across the, the handsets that we have. But I think over the next few years, we'll probably see the ability to do the multipathing more effectively from a UE standpoint. So, so now, also for user experience, uh, I mean, today, for example, on Wi-Fi, we're using products like DNA Spaces. Uh, we're able to do a lot of the analytics about location. We're able to uh, have captive portals and all this interaction. Are we going to be able to seamlessly extend uh, those kind of functionalities so we have a single analytics platform for the users? <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect question, Shai. And I think that really gets at, at one of the hearts of enterprise 5G. And I was going to ask you for feedback, but I think based on your question, you, I'm already getting your feedback on what you want to see. Customers have told us pretty resoundingly this needs to, needs to be just another access technology that I manage with my existing tools. And I need to be able to extend my existing enterprise policy, security profiles, all of those things seamlessly across 5G, Wi-Fi, whatever the connectivity type is. Um, and they want that to integrate in, and that's something that we're we're very focused on is is uh, is enabling that because enterprises, you know, it's funny we get really enamored with technology, um, and uh, and we can talk about all the cool tools. What I'm hearing from enterprise CIOs is, look, I make business decisions. I don't make technology decisions. So this needs to provide value to my business. And it needs to really be seamless. I don't, I don't want to build a whole lot of new IT staff just to manage a new technology. Let's, you, you've got to make it easy. I know that, for example, as we're talking about 802.11, uh, we're able to keep access points uh, fairly close to users uh, within safety. Is deploying 5G in an enterprise going to have uh, different requirements as far as how do you prepare to deploy this? What what do we need to do if we wanted to deploy 5G? Yeah, another great question. Um, so there are a couple ways that I think about the differences here um, and, and similarities. Uh, 
Um, when you when you look at 5G, there are three basic frequency spectrum bands because what you're talking about gets to really the physics of RF and, and radio frequency propagation. And when we look at 5G, there's actually three basic band categories. We have low band, which is below one gigahertz roughly. We have mid band, which is between one gigahertz and six gigahertz. And then we have high band, which is above 23, 24 gigahertz up into the, it's also called millimeter wave. Roughly, without going into a full physics lessons here, uh, the lower the frequency rate, the longer the waves are. So the further they'll propagate and the more they'll go through, um, uh, you know, uh, objects that might block them, the, the less they're disrupted. The higher the frequency rate, the faster the data speeds. Um, but they do not penetrate as well and they do not travel as far. And so when you, when you think about deploying it in the enterprise, uh, mid-band is, is obviously going to be a lot like the existing Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi, as you know, is in, in 2.45 and 6 gigahertz, which is in that mid-band range. So it actually looks pretty similar. I mean, there's, there's, there's more. We can go way, way deep into this, but that's fairly similar. Uh, when you get up into millimeter wave, which allows for the very, very high speeds, and high data rates, there's a lot more considerations because it's blocked by walls, it's blocked by windows, and in some cases it can actually be blocked or, or inhibited by moisture in the air, depending on which which uh, frequency rate you're at there. So there are considerations there. But generally, if you're in the mid-band, you can, you can think pretty similar to, uh, to Wi-Fi as far as uh, where the access points need to go. Um, the last point that I just wanted to touch on, I, th I think you, you sort of hinted at safety there um, in the enterprise. And the power rates uh, are, are all controlled within in, indoor. Uh, so from a safety standpoint, again, you're, you're, you're in the same range and, and not concerned. So radio, so radio planning is still very a key, key topic for 5G. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, as enterprises want to deploy this, do they need to apply for a license? Uh, I mean, how do we deal with the uh, frequency allocation here? Kind of depends on where you are in the world. Uh, so it's going to be different for you, Shai, than it is for Sebrin. You know, there's there's a couple different ways that uh, that they can get Spectrum if they're talking about 5G specifically. In the U.S., we'll start with we'll start with the U.S. since that's where we're located right now. There you can. There's basically two ways to get it right now. One is that the enterprise can can apply for a PAL license in CBRS Spectrum. You may have heard of CBRS. CBRS is actually starting with LTE, which is 4G radio, but it's going to move to 5G radio. And those licenses actually allow for enterprises to use that uh, CBRS spectrum that was, uh, was carved out by the government to, uh, to, to deploy their own private services within the enterprise. So they can either get those directly or they can get licenses through an operator who possesses those licenses. CBRS, that's a new term for me. Can you elaborate a little bit on that one? Yeah, sure. So CBRS is a citizen's band radio service. And it was Spectrum, and it makes sense that, that it wouldn't be that familiar to you because it is a U.S.-centric implementation. Okay. Uh, basically, what the U.S. government did is they carved out 150 megahertz of Spectrum, I believe it was, that was originally allocated for naval use. Uh, ship to shore communication and a little bit of satellite use. And, and they realized it was used in very limited locations. So they built this licensing and spectrum allocation scheme that would allow for that to be shared across a multitude of users. And so what it did was it opened up spectrum on a broad basis 
Um, much of that was auctioned off, and then some of it is actually available for general use by users in, in the U.S. Outside of the U.S., we have countries that are allocating 5G spectrum, generally in the mid-band, uh, 3.5 gigahertz range, to private enterprises. And so they've carved off some and they've said, okay, we're not going to allocate all of this to operators. Most of it goes to the operators, but they're going to carve out some for enterprises who can apply for their own licenses. And, uh, and again, this kind of varies by country, but, uh, but there are a number of countries that have done that. And then the other way, of course, is the same thing that I mentioned in the U.S., where uh, through a relationship with the service provider, the service provider could actually allocate them a portion of their spectrum for use inside their facilities. And then there's a lot of variability, you know, a, lot, a lot of details we could get into around, you know, how that's, uh, you know, licensed and protected and everything. But those are the general ways where you would actually get 5G spectrum. Um, and of course, with, with Wi-Fi, as, as I think everybody knows, or you're calling it 802.11, um, that's unlicensed spectrum. And, uh, and so it's, it's free for anybody to use, um, which is, uh, makes it sort of a ubiquitous uh, technology. I, I, I want to, I guess, uh, elaborate a little bit more. I mean, we use the term 5G, and like you said, there's a great amount of confusion on it between uh, 5 gigahertz, the LTE, uh, but really we're talking about cellular technology that's being packaged for enterprise use uh, that's until now been service provider. Right, right. And, and 5G. So 5G is available for both consumer and enterprise use. Obviously, we're focusing more on enterprises here, but, uh, but it is available for, for consumers. And as you said, this is the, this is the latest generation in cellular technology uh, that goes all the way back to 1G that started back in the 80s with analog voice. And then we slowly added data to it. Uh, the thing that's unique about 5G, and you were really hitting on there, Shai, is that this is really the first generation that was designed from the start, thinking about enterprise use cases and what enterprises might do with it. And uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's really key. And that's what's going to enable a, a lot of new service capabilities on top of it. Now, looking forward a little bit, too, about this cellular technology, I mean, I know, for example, right now we're deploying Wi-Fi 6. Uh, we're right on the verge of Wi-Fi 6E. Uh, being released, uh, and then there's already talks of uh, Wi-Fi 7, Wi-Fi 8. Uh, so right now, the hot thing is the 5G. Uh, what's like the the roadmap for the technology on cellular going to give us when we're looking at the 6G and 7G? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I, I chuckle because we're always we're always kind of looking ahead. I'm actually doing a panel uh, coming up on on 6G because you know people are obviously talking about that. 6G in the cellular, as I said, I think I mentioned earlier, we're roughly on 10 year cycles for the generations, and there's a lot of overlap, by the way. So now that we're in the 5G era, there's still a lot of 4G. In fact, 4G is actually growing still, and it's predicted to grow for the next couple of years as 5G starts to take off and uh, and really become more pervasive. By the way, we still is, have- Is that because of cost or, or, I mean, what's the cause that 4G is still growing? Um, you know, it's, it's partially, uh, you know, timelines for deployment. It's uh, dependent on devices that are out there. It's dependent on the cost to deploy uh, and just timelines to get these, these networks out there. And so, you know, technology um, always lags implementation. And uh, or, I mean, always leads implementation. Implementation always lags, right? You have to come up with the technology and then you implement it. And it's quite a big undertaking to implement uh, wireless technologies, you know, climb towers, hang new radios, 
um, and and work through that. So in many countries, we still have 3G networks up and running, and we still have 2G networks up and running. Now, 3G is uh, is being sunsetted in most areas because they're taking that spectrum and they're repurposing it for 5G, gives them better capabilities, you know, better spectral efficiency and, and all of that. Uh, but 2G actually is probably going to be with us for a while. And that's because there are a number of very low cost devices out there, IoT devices and, and, and uh, you know, similar devices that use 2G spectrum. And the lifespan of those devices you know, can be decades, right? They're, they're very low cost, but there's, you know, millions of them out there and, and they won't all automatically be replaced. So we'll probably see 2G around for a while. We will see 4G. Uh, 5G is growing, as I said, quite a bit over the next five years. Uh, and then around about the end of the decade, we'll start to see 6G. It's a bit early on what 6G is going to bring, but uh, there will be new frequency bands, um, it's about even more pervasive techno uh, uh, connectivity. Uh, they're talking about, you know, terahertz spectrum, uh, which will be an interesting physics problem to solve. But a, a lot of new capabilities. Right now, I really see it as building on 5G. 5G is a big inflection point for the network changing and to deliver these capabilities. And so to me, 6G is going to be Basically, enhanced features on top of the 5G network is a, is a good way to think about it. Okay, cool. Um, my 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 son is at the university, um, building all kinds of IoT projects. No daughters here, uh, but he's experiencing uh, exper experimenting with the LoRa and LTEM um, uh, technology um, because of the power budget and the low power usage. How does that fit in with uh, 5G and IoT and low power consumption? Yeah, yeah. So, and and the the lower cost, you know, kind of the the LoRa type devices, the LT, the CAD-M, the and uh, and some of the older devices um, that are even like as I said, were on 2G. They're very low bandwidth applications. Exactly. They typically are not communicating all the time, right? They may wake up and communicate every day. They may wake up and communicate once a month. Um, and so that allows for very long battery life. Those technologies are going to be around for, for quite a long time with 2G and then with, uh, with LoRa and, and, and related technologies. 5G, as I, as I kind of briefly mentioned earlier, they defined a category called massive machine type communications. Mm -hmm. And it's designed for this space. It is designed to solve some of the potential uh, shortcomings in the older technologies. It will allow for a lot higher density of devices. So 10x the density of devices in a, in a particular area. Um, it does allow for uh, power saving functionality like, um, you know, scheduling where you can, you can schedule, you know, a target wake up time for the device, which by the way, we can do on Wi-Fi now as well. And so there's a lot of new capabilities come in, coming in, but we're not seeing the deployment of 5G devices yet because the full capability in 5G is actually in, in, um, in a later release of 5G technology. I, I th thank you so much. So, I mean, so kind of open this up is, I mean, uh, I see some good conversation about some good use cases for, uh, for 5G uh, in, in some verticals, for example. Uh, I see, uh, I mean, I can see, for example, that initially operational networks were, uh, you might want to get more reliability, more security by the very nature of cellular technology. So I see things like manufacturing, hospitals, uh, where, you know, where, you know, uh, 
uh, warehouses. And these are areas where, where typically you don't have, uh, uh, sometimes you have a lot of interference or you have uh, uh, issues with penetrate, penetrating where I think that the cell technology does a much better job. What are some of the other unique use cases uh, you see for 5G? Yeah, I think you I think you hit on some of the big ones there. Um, you know, one area where we're seeing a lot of work, and, and you mentioned it, but I'll just go into it a little bit more. You know, warehouse and distribution is a very big area for this. When you when you when you look at five G versus Wi Fi, there they overlap in the middle, but then there are also sweet spots for each of them. And and as you said, um, you know, five G and really cellular technologies more engineered for outdoor, more engineered for longer distances. Um, it is private, you know, licensed spectrum, so there are limits on who can use that. And, uh, and so we're seeing a lot of, uh, in fact, we have a couple of public trials going on right now with users who are using this in a distribution warehouse environment um, where they're controlling equipment or they're tracking, you know, uh, equipment or components as they move around and they may be moving between warehouses, um, you know, autonomous control of, uh, uh, you know, guided vehicles around the manufacturing environment. Um, a lot of those things are, are really, uh, you know, proving out as good use cases where we can we can leverage both technologies, but specifically 5G and, and some of the more specialized areas. Um, you know, another area as we move into healthcare, um, it definitely opens the door for much more um, uh, remote access for healthcare services. Now, whether it's actual for telehealth for, for us or whether it's, um, you know, uh, emergency medical personnel who are going out who can actually now fire up a high-speed link with video, real-time communications to actually do treatment out there in the field. Um, you know, a lot of, lot of talk around, uh, you know, entertainment and gaming applications. We see uh, entertainment studios looking at it for remote production. Uh, you know, we see, uh, of course, AR, VR applications leveraging that. There's a, there's a lot of capabilities that, as we get the technology out, we get the user equipment out there that can support it. Um, that uh, that are really going to start taking off, I think. Now, do do you see the uh, cost of deployment being different, for example, in outdoor environments? Uh, I think one of the things, uh, if you look at outdoor spaces, deploying outdoor Wi-Fi is becoming uh, uh, is uh, especially if you want Wi-Fi six, it's expensive to get it out there because of the limitations of the eight or two eleven. Uh, do you see an economic shift uh, once devices are able to utilize that in enterprises? Uh, outdoor spaces might, for example, use uh, use five, you know, the enterprise five G, and then indoors you use eight hundred two eleven. I mean, do you have any sense of economics how that might work? Yeah, economics. So, so as we get outdoors, we can use higher powered radios. You can use different frequency bands that will allow for actual better coverage. Um, so, so that things like that will shift the economics. I will say that, you know, deploying outdoors is obviously going to be more expensive than an indoor deployment anyway. You know, I mean, typically like a drop ceiling or, or something that, you know, that is, that is easier to install indoors versus climbing towers or, you know, putting mass up on top of rooftops and things like that. So there is, there is some loaded cost in the outdoor environment, but, um, you know, as we get to, uh, as we get further along, uh, we're actually working on a lot of things to help automate the, the deployment as well. 
Um, so we've actually done some things even in a macro network where you can simplify the installation of that radio. Yeah, somebody still has to go climb the tower and hang it on, but then all they have to do is plug it in and it can actually automatically provision itself, uh, load the software, load the firmware, load all the capabilities and attach itself to the network. So from an overall OPEX standpoint, things like that can dramatically reduce the cost of deployment, both for service providers as well as enterprises. Um, another thing that I think we're going to see more of is, uh, is automated site surveys, uh, because as you, as you start to do a site survey and you're doing RF planning, the more you can automate processes like that, uh, you know, the easier it's going to be to provide a good level of service. And it's also, again, going to reduce the cost. So there's a lot of innovation. When you, when you talk about automated site survey, I'm, I'm just wondering how does that work? I've done site surveys and I have no idea how to automate that. Yeah, so, um, so a combination of uh, camera technologies uh, with artificial intelligence that can, can sort of, you know, read the environment and understand the environment. Also, of course, you know, RF testing where you can, you can walk around and you can test, you know, in, across the facility and sense the environment. And, by, and then there's also, um, you know, just from satellite imagery, depending on where you are, you know, there's satellite imagery, there's LIDAR data now that's coming out around different cities and different, different deployment areas where there's a lot of data that already knows, okay, there's a lamp post here. Here's what the, what the surrounding environment looks like. Um, you know, you can tell, okay, this, this uh, environment may be more reflective. Uh, there's a lot of foliage over here. And so that's going to absorb more of the signal. And so we're just getting a better data set out there to allow for the automation of, of, uh, of deployment. And, and again, you know, save quite a bit of time. You also have more data, I think, on uh, what other operators are and what frequency. So you can do a lot of the frequency planning in an automated fashion as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, now we, t we talked about outdoors, uh, but uh, another t area that's generally been tough with 802.11 uh, is dorms. So, for example, uh, Subrin was talking about his daughter being, uh, being in college. She probably lives in the dorm uh, at that point. Uh, how do you see 5G changing uh, difficult environments like dorms? Wow, that's a good, that's a great question, actually. Um, so, you know, fundamentally, we're talking about physics here at the, at the RF level. And, uh, and so the, the physics of the spectrum of the frequency band and its ability to penetrate don't really change with, based on the technology that's running across it, whether it's 5G or whether it's, whether it's Wi-Fi. Um, but with, with 5G, we do have the capability to use lower frequency bands and, and other bands. Um, you could deliver some of that potentially from outdoors where it would actually penetrate better through the window and, and through, you know, the, the outside walls versus having to go through all the layers of concrete that are, that are inside the facility. Um, and, uh, and I also think that, um, you know, by, by automating the, the onboarding and the, and the, uh, the ability to um, uh, map out the frequency uh, and uh, map out the spectrum, we'll be able to add more coverage indoors more simply, right? And, and be able to isolate that off to where you don't have all the interference, um, but, uh, but deploy it. But yeah, those are, those are uh, always interesting problems to solve. I see, I see kind of an interesting trend is, uh, you know, initially we kind of designed the dorms to be all wireless. And now that as gamers uh, are becoming more and more prevalent, they're asking for wired networks again. Uh, with 5G, are the gamers going to be satisfied with wireless service or am I still going to have to plan wired uh, connectivity for them? 
<laughs> yeah, well, with, with 5G and actually with Wi-Fi 6E, um, we can do very, very low latency connections. And, uh, and so I think, um, uh, you know, the, there's, a, there's a lot of work going on 5G for gaming, and I'm sure there is in 6E as well. I'm, I'm not as uh, close to that piece of it. Um, I think that uh, what we see with the gamers is they are the ultimate power users. So I'm sure that, uh, that many of them are still going to be kind of pushing the envelope. But we have the capability in the wireless technology to support the super high data, weight, data rates, you know, multi-gigabit connections, even potentially, um, you know, the lower latency down in the millisecond range. Uh, you know, the, uh, the variability of the latency as well, you know, the jitter on the connection, all, all these things go down where, uh, you know, I think wireless just, you know, becomes a more ubiquitous connection. But I'm always hesitant to speak for the, the high-end gaming community because they have proven to push the envelope like nobody else. <laughs> just to work a small, small question. You, you, we mentioned multi-gigabit already. Uh, we've seen it already on Wi-Fi and the 2.5 giga. Uh, 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 gigabit Ethernet. Yeah. Um, are we already speaking on about ten gigabit Ethernet on access points already? On you mean from a wireless standpoint, or yeah, from or wireless, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean I, I we're, we're rough theoretical maximum um, on uh, on on eight hundred two eleven on Wi Fi six E. I believe in the six gigahertz spectrum is around three and a half gigabit. Um, practically speaking. Uh, there's, you know, you could probably plan on gigabit rates um, out of Wi-Fi 6E on uh, 5G technology, on the on the cellular 5G technology. Um, operators have demonstrated multi-gigabit connections, but again, practically speaking, you know, you're probably talking about roughly in the gigabit ranges. Okay, okay, okay. What do you think are the top three most exciting things about, uh, you know, bringing the, the enterprise uh, 5G out? Yeah, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing, and this kind of goes back to, um, you know, I was asked on a in a panel one time about, you know, what what I think the most important feature of five G is going to be, and I just I go back to, seem, you know, the the most powerful thing is when you have a connection, no matter where you are, that will support any type of service that you need. Uh, you know, meaning that, you know, if you need a high speed connection, if you need a low latency connection, it's just there and you don't really have to think about it. And I think if we deploy 5G in mass along with Wi-Fi 6, we can enable that future where it makes it a lot easier for enterprises. Uh, they don't have to pull a wire when they want to connect a high speed piece of equipment and in a manufacturing environment. If they need to move part of their equipment, they don't actually have to haul another wire or a fiber optic cable over there because it's it's wireless. Uh, you know, they can extend those outdoors. So it's sort of location agnostic to provide these capabilities. And I think that's what we're moving towards with these wireless technologies. It's about the applications they enable. And we have to think a lot less about, you know, the, 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 uh, the infrastructure that's in place because it's so easy to turn on. Um, you know, when I think on the more immediate term, what 5G is allowing us to do is imagine what those applications would be. Because really, enterprise has been working in the constraint of this is what works on wireless and this is what works on wired. And we're sort of breaking that down. And so there's a lot of exciting use cases. I'm not going to go back through and, and go through all the ones that we've talked about before. But I, I really land on that. I mean, I think that's, that's where we're getting to is, uh, is that future. Yeah, we're redefining the medium is what it seems like. Yeah. 
So, and then the other question I have is, I mean, let's talk about security, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of advantage, uh, security advantages uh, to what's possible with 5G over Wi-Fi. Yeah, there there are. Um, there's two sides to this, right? Because there is a debate, right, that we can probably talk about about 5G security in general. Um, but when you look at a licensed technology, um, you know, first of all, to you know, somebody has to attach to the network. And with a licensed technology, obviously it's it's closed off and it's harder to attach to. Also, the networks are hardened in a number of different ways. And so as we look at 5G, um, there's a question in the industry about how secure it is. And and it's it's funny because as you said, 5G technology is actually built with more security built in. And we're also building in an environment where now, you know, things like zero trust and certificate authentication and all these things are really built into our lives. And those are built into the network. Uh, and so with 5G, we have a number of layers of security. We have 3GPP, we have, uh, you know, the cloud security, we have all sorts of different security layers, which allow it to be very secure. Uh, but I, I want to make sure that we consider that um, uh, the security is applied, most of the security is applied above the access layer. Well, folks, this has been another phenomenal episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Thank you for listening in and joining us today. If you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the description below. And just a reminder, you could subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.